Hello and welcome to the Olive Tree Podcast, hosted by When Wisdom Calls. We hope and pray this episode gives you insight and uplifts your spirit. So without further ado, let's get straight into it. Shangom, shangom, and welcome back to another week of the Olive Tree Podcast. Um, this is, as I said last week, it's going to be quite a a rawness to this, to this podcast because it's things that Yeshua puts on my heart or discussions I have with him or or things he reveals to me that I'll speak about. And there's not a set um, criteria or there's not a set plan in achieving this podcast. Other than God speak and I'll recite it. And that's the only plan I have. And I think that's a good plan. And that's the plan he's taught me. So we're wronging with it. Um, this week specifically, we're going to actually be covering the topic of God's divinity. God's divinity. Because more and more I'm hearing people redefining God's divinity to fit doctrine or to fit stories or to fit what they want it to fit. And there's a few hard truths in this. Um, and that's quite a disconcerting thing to hear so many people doing it. And I'm not, and by no means am I condemning these people. And by no means am I, am I saying they're hell bound. No. What I am saying, though, there is a spirit of repentance that will be coming over these people because Adonai is interested in his way. Adonai is interested in us following Hadberech, the way. Not another way. And I think I said this last week. In Hebrew, if you say the word or the, the phrase another way, that linguistically means another doctrine or a false doctrine or a lying teaching and we see we translate it quite poorly in um in in our english bibles because the word doesn't say um another another gospel that's not what it says at all when you read it in the hebrew and i'm and in the greek it says i only know the hebrew so i'm not going to try the greek um, but any Greek scholars, you're more than welcome to to speak on this topic. But in the Hebrew, at least, it doesn't say basar, which means gospel or good news. It says derech, way or road or direction. And so when people come speaking another derech, another way, that's false. And what does Paul say over and over? Don't listen to them push their teachings aside. If it's contrary to the derech that we are speaking to you now, rebuke it. Because it is not going to bring you before the throne of Adonai, but it rather will take you away from it. And so I've been finding it very interesting over and over, the fact that we in so many doctrines, in so many denominations, in so many churches for hundreds of and if not thousands of years, we have been saying God's divinity must fit my story, how I tell my story. Fundamentally incorrect. And the reason I say that is Adonai was divine far, far, far before we were created. And even, even if that's not so, far, far, far before we were even born. And so if his divinity was never touched by us, what makes us think that he can be 
touched by us now. Far be it from us to say to God, your divinity, you are only divine if you do things my way. That is a horrific thing to say to a person or to a being who made himself in the fashion of one of his own creations to lay upon a stake to be drilled through his hands and feet, to be tortured so that his blood could redeem us as he promised to Adam and Chava in the garden or after the garden, Adam and Eve after the garden. That is quite a weighty thing to say. God, you cannot do this because it doesn't fit my teachings. Well, then your your teachings are wrong. And a lot of people don't like hearing the fact of people saying your teaching is wrong because it means I'm a failure. No, by no means. It does not mean that you're a failure. It means that you're wrong. And that's exciting because it means that we can learn. Like, look at this. So Saul the Pharisee said this. Well, it was Paul the Apostle, but he was he was thinking back to when he was Saul the Pharisee. And he said, it was my genuine worship, my genuine zeal of worship that caused me to persecute and assist the killings of those who believed in Yeshua. And when I realized that my genuine zeal of worship led me down the wrong path. I repented of that and used that very same genuine zeal of worship to follow Haderech, to follow his path. So there's many people who have a genuine worship, and that's not what I'm. That's not what I believe the Rabbatong is all about. It's getting something wrong and zeal of worship do not always equate. Because your zeal of worship is your heart towards God. Getting something wrong is your conceptions and perceptions of him. So you can genuinely genuinely love a person and yet still get things wrong about them. That does not mean by any stretch of the imagination, any form of failure. And I love the fact that the Apostle Paul says this. It was my genuine zeal of worship. I just plugged it in the wrong place. And when I realized, when Adonai showed that to me, I repented, I chuva, I returned to him, my original, and I followed his direction. There's a lot of us today that have genuine zeal of worship, but yet do not follow his way. And all we have to do is chuva, return to, his, to, to your origin, because we are his tselem, his image. And so repentance, as much as it means to turn around in the Greek and the Latin, in Hebrew it has a little bit more of a connotation, which does mean to return to your origin, because if we are the image of, he is the original of us. And so therefore, when we turn around, we ought to be walking back to our original, which is him. As it says, the word created everything. And we are fashioned of the word. We are fashioned of Adonai. And so when we, when we come to realize that we are plugging our genuine zeal of worship into the wrong thing, of course we should just turn around and go back to our original and say, God, where do I need to put it? Where do I plug this into? And that's, that is what a humbled servant does. 
and he's calling many people to be humbled in this time. There are genuinely many, many, many people that are trying to do the right thing, but they fear living in error, so they don't change. But that is living in error. If Adonai is bringing things up and he's saying in his word over and over and over that that is not the right way, and yet then we walk in that way that he has already rebuked a hundred times over saying it is not the right way, then we need to change. We need to say, okay, Lord, I get the picture. I humble myself before you. And I thank you for your mercies. Because he is merciful. He is very merciful. And he's not, he's not Zeus. He's not waiting for, for you to stuff up so he can kill you. No. He's waiting for you to come to the party, to come to the table and say, I repent. And just because Yeshua died on the cross doesn't mean that we that, that you repent once and for all. No, 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 no. We turn to him, yes. But there's many a times that I will do something. And I still need to repent of it. And it's a simple apology. I don't know. I'm sorry I did that. And if that hurt your heart, I, I apologize before you now. Teach me in your way, in your instruction, so that I do not do this again. That's as simple as it needs to be. Because he is not short. He does not have a gauge of forgiveness and then he refuses to forgive. That's not how our God works. If Adonai says, I will forgive you 70 times 7, and then he tells us, forgive 70 times 7. In Hebrew, 70 times 7 is an equation of infinity. Or ancient Hebrew anyway. And so he's effectively saying, be willing to forgive always, regardless of whether you're justified in it or not. Forgive as I forgave you. And that's a powerful message. But he is stirring us back to the way. Because there are many who call on his name and they follow other ways. And Adonai is done waiting now. He is stirring up his people afresh. And he will be bringing us back to the knowledge of the way, in the way of our forefathers, whether you're Jew or Gentile, does not matter. We can all say our forefathers. Because whether you're from the descendants of Ham, or Yafet, or Shem, you still came from Noach, who is a descendant of Adam. So whether you come from Shem, Ham, or Japheth, you're still a descendant of Noah, who is the lineage of Seth, the son of Adam. And that's where we come from. So regardless, the way of our ancestors is unchanging. Why? Because Adonai is the one that gave it. He taught it to Adam. And then Adam taught it on to his children. And then Seth taught it on to his children. And so on and so forth. And in four and a half thousand years, the way has never changed. Or in four thousand years, it never changed. And when Yeshua taught it, it never changed. And when his disciples taught it, it never changed. And then when their disciples taught it, it never changed. And their disciples taught it, it never changed. Then their disciples taught it, and it changed. So we get to the fourth generation after Yeshua's disciples. And we start to change the doctrine to fit 
the narrative. We fought so hard against Gnostic doctrines that we then started to actually introduce some of it into the way. That is not how it works. And then we defined our doctrines for the sake of defense. After the schism, the Eastern uh, denominations did change their doctrine, but they changed it a little bit later. The Western denominations changed their doctrines. But every time there was a threat of apostasy or blasphemy, we created another doctrine to combat it in defense of the faith. But interestingly enough, in Scripture, there's not one place that says defend the faith. In fact, he says, I will defend my kingdom. You simply go where I tell you to go. You make disciples. I will build the church. And there's many people who are, who are right now building the church. Put down that hammer. If Adonai hasn't, Adonai did not give you that hammer. That's his. He'll give you your own hammer. And that's a hammer to build up the disciples. Because that is what scripture says. You build up the Talmudim. You build up the students. I will build up the walls of the kingdom. That's his job. And so we have started to dilute the way and God is reproving the way back to what it was. He's pruning it back to his original intention. And so there will be a lot of us who will go, God, that, that well, if you do this, then you're not a good father in my books. Well, then that's an issue that you have to walk through healing in. Because he is a good father, and his goodness and his divinity are not subjected to our limited perspective. His divinity and his goodness is his own, and it's subjected to him alone. We simply get the privilege of watching, and as the angels do, and cry out, Kadosh, 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 holy, holy, holy. It is not our job to say to God, the king of the universe, you have to change because I'm uncomfortable with it. That is not our job. And so we're going to be taking our idols that we have made with our own belief systems, throwing it on that altar, burning it before him and say, now teach me your instructions. Adonai, you guide my steps. And that's everything he's already promised. And he's saying, now my people catch up. Another thing I would like to cover regarding God's divinity is how we handle books that are authoritative books and history shows us they are, um, but they're not part of the 66 books that we have at the moment. And interestingly enough, so the Temple Library, um, commonly known, they were rediscovered just before Israel's reconception. And they're now commonly known as the Dead Sea Scrolls. But they were also formerly known as the Temple Library or the Temple Archive. And so when the Hasmoneans took out the sons of Zadok, the, the Bnei Zadokim, um, and they instilled themselves or installed themselves in their place. Leviticus talks about how it is that the the duty of the Kohanim, the priesthood, to look after the scrolls of the temple. And the scrolls of the temple had writings from the first age 
patriarchal writings and prophecies and messianic prophecies from the first age. So the first 2000 years. Um, and then, so that's the age of creation. Then the second age is the age of Torah, but we don't get the Torah in that until like the written Torah until about 400 years in 400, 500 years in. So halfway through the age is when the written Torah is given. But there was still the Torah Shabbat the oral Torah. And that's not the same oral Torah that, that the Pharisees spoke about. That was the tradition of their elders. But there was the Torah Shabbat the oral Torah that the patriarchs, pay, uh, patriarchs handed down. But there was also books like Last Will and Testaments that accumulated all of the patriarchal, uh, the patriarchs and matriarchs, their, their last story, their testaments, their lessons, even prophecies, very accurate prophecies, mind you. And they were put in the temple archive around the time that Israel was set up for the first time as a nation. And then we get the Torah, the five books of Moses. But those books were still considered authoritative, even though we, we, we had the Torah given to us. So that's Breshit, Genesis, Shemot, Exodus, um, Vaikra, which is Leviticus, uh, Bamidbar, which is Numbers, and Devarim, Deuteronomy. So when we got those, that became known. That, that is when the first, the first time we see this happen, we have what's called the public canon, and then you have the clerical canon. So the canon that everybody has and everybody studies, and then you've got the canon for those who are the priests, who would be the prophets and the soon-to-be kings. So they could study it, and they could in help the common folk, the, the everyday Israelite, to study accurately the Torah. And so we get to the 16th century, and so all these things are still in in teachings, common teachings of their day. And we get to the, we get to the schism of the 13th, uh, the 13th century, the, the schism of the 3rd century, and then we've got Constantine kicking the Jews out. The Church of Antioch disagrees with that, so they side with the Jews and they're kicked out too. And Constantine says, we Goyim, we Gentiles, we need to make our own religion with Yeshua at the forefront. And so that creates the Eastern and the Western denominations. Then you get to the 16th century after another schism where you have the the Catholics and the Protestants separating from themselves. And then you have the Nicene Council of that century where they then sit down and they're tasked with, with defining canon. And so you have Protestants and Catholics who were looking through books going, this is Catholic, we don't want it. This is Protestant, we don't want it. And some of them were very, very genuine books. A lot of them were Gnostic tomes that were rightfully removed. But then we had, well, the temple library was still in hiding, but we had specific books of prophecies. We had specific um, letters that were actually genuinely written by the first century council. So the, the Council of Apostles. Um, we have specific epistles that were genuine epistles. Uh, we have specific um, books of history that were, and even patriarchal writings, that were genuine, and they had been used throughout all the ages. Um, 
that we rebuked and said they are not trustworthy. And so now God is bringing these things back. And we have to understand our history. And I, I find it shocking that most of our Bible colleges only go up to Constantine in history. Like they speak about the first and second and third centuries, but they really go in depth. They really go in depth with from Constantine over uh, Constantine onwards. And that's a very, very, very interesting thing for me because that's when the doctrine went wonky. And so now God is starting to undo some of these things. And we really need to know history that comes before Constantine. But we really need to go back to history, really starting at Adam and going down. We need to know these things. And there is genuine uh, Jewish history books. And there's genuine historical books that came out of the original oral Torah. And we have people like Josephus and Fingo that quote these books and even the, the patriarchal writings and even the temple library. So that shows that they were in circulation and they were considered trustworthy in their days. Josephus was also put under house arrest so that there would be an accurate account of everything that happened around Yeshua's time. And he wasn't allowed to leave house rest until the documents were certified by Romans and Jews. So we've got books of history that are genuine books of history. And we have that, that confirm that those books are genuine books. And then we've got quotes from our own canon that prove that these books are genuine books. And so God is bringing them back because that's what the prophecies say. The prophecy says that these books that are lost and these teachings that are lost will come back in the days that are leading up to the last days of the age, of the age of grace, transitioning into the age of the kingdom, so that the people who are the genuine believers will know the times and know the way. And then you have this same being, the same concept being taught in the first century. Uh, the first, second, and third century churches up until Constantine, who really didn't care too much about it in all honesty, and history does show us that. And so he's bringing these things back, and we have to be on board with it. Why? Because our own scripture says that this is what needs to come to pass. These genuine prophecies say that this is what needs to come to pass, and it's already coming to pass. It says that these things would start to come back into circulation in the same jubilee period that Israel would come back a second time. That's already happened. That's already happening. It's coming back into circulation. And it's only been in the past, well, I think, it's been since probably the early or mid-1990s on the Gregorian calendar that those things were released for public circulation. And more is being added to it. <laughs> when I say more is being added to it, I mean more books that are under academic privilege are being released for public, um, public knowledge. So it's not that these books are being added to in the way of writings or information, but it's being added to as in things that have been under lock and key are now being freed so that we, as the prophecies say, we can run with it and know the times. We even have Yeshua 
rebuking the Pharisees. So the Hasmoneans birthed the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and they became the priesthood after the sons of Zadok were removed from the temple service. And there's a whole other thing about that, and we can go into it if you guys want in a different episode. But then, and so when the the sons of Zadok took the temple libraries, they left some of the copies, not the genuine, not the, when I say genuine, not the original documentation, but some of the copies that they had made stayed in the temple. And Yeshua even rebuked them for not knowing them. Because a lot of those things had genuine messianic prophecies and he said look if you studied the books in the temple you would realize the hour of your visitation and you would realize who stands before you but you have lived in error because you have instilled the teachings of the of the the decree or the the traditions of your elders which later became known as Talmud and Gemara. And so Yeshua is rebuking the Sadducees and the Pharisees because they had some of these documents before them and they just ridiculed it as being illegitimate. And I find that funny because the priest had a practice that if a book was in the archive and it wasn't a genuine or illegitimate book, they would put it on the altar and sacrifice it. They would burn it before God. And so the fact that these are genuine books that are left on the shelf in very pristine condition and they're not scorched, they haven't been burnt and they're ridiculing it is actually very, very peculiar to me because I would prove that it's a genuine book that the priest didn't burn it. And so Yeshua is even rebuking them for not knowing these, what we would deem today as extra biblical prophecies. And what I find very interesting is when John the Immerser sends his disciples to Yeshua saying, you know, are you the one or are we waiting more? Or are we waiting for another? And people often teach that he was doubting, but that is actually incorrect. He wasn't doubting Yeshua. He was starting to wonder whether his teaching, what he was taught, because he was a son of Zadok. He was a descendant of Zadok, John the Baptist was. And so he was raised with the Zadokite teachings. And so he was going, were the priesthood correct or are the Pharisees correct? And then what does Yeshua turn around and do? Yeshua says, go and tell your master this information. And he quotes verbatim one of the signs from one of the temple scrolls or an extra biblical prophecy, as we would say today, verbatim. We're saying this is how you will know that your Messiah has come. He will feed the hungry by miracles, he will restore sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf. Those that have twisted bodies will be restored. Those that have twisted or tormented spirits shall be delivered. And the poor and the broken are receiving the good news. That is a messianic prophecy that we do see touched on in, in Isaiah, but it goes to that extreme of what the Messiah would do as a prophecy found in the temple archives. And he quoted verbatim. And so we see that Yeshua, who is our God, God incarnate, we see that he is Malach Adonai, the angel of the Lord, that he is Dibar Adonai, or Memra, who is the word of the Lord and the manifestation. We see him 
quoting these genuine prophecies. Why? Because they are his story. And so regardless of whether we consider it scripture or not, it is our obligation. An obligation is a covenantal word. It means to be bound in covenant. So it is an obligation. We are bound by the covenant to know these things. And that's how he taught. He taught all throughout. All the people we look up to, all the patriarchs, all the matriarchs, they are told, look at these things and they will be and they will reveal the signs to you. And I just love that ret- that retort, that rebuke to the Pharisees. You should know. And if you studied these books in your library, you would know this is the hour or the you would know the hour of your visitation. What a rebuke. And so he's bringing us back to the study of this prophecy, the study of prophecies, to the study of these things. And it's not heresy. They have withstood the test of time. And people would say, but how can we trust them? They've been like, how can we know that they are true? Well, the prophecy says that these books for a time would be lost or hidden rather, which is a fulfillment of Proverbs 25, where it says it is the glory of God to conceal a thing and the glory of kings to investigate those things. And so the prophecies say that because of the deception that seeks to arise, that he would hide these things so that in those days of transition or the last days of the age of grace, they would come to fruition and come back to the surface so that the way could be reinstalled untouched by the deception of the ages. And so the prophecies are being fulfilled. We're seeing these things coming to pass. And that's why Adonai hid them. So that he, his teachings and his way could go undistorted by the deception that comes up. And that deception was the fragmentation of his kingdom. The separation of Jew and Gentile. The separation of genuine books. And the, and the prying away of true books with false books. And he is restoring to his kingdom the knowledge that has been robbed from us. And that is his divinity. He said it, he warned us about it. And that's in our book, that's in Isaiah. (laughs) And now he is restoring. It's even in Deuteronomy, actually, as well, now that I think about it. And there's warnings in various places throughout the Torah, the Nevim, and the Ketuvim. So throughout the, the five books of Moses, the prophets and the books that are the writings. We are forewarned of it. Constantly throughout the narrative. And it's even hinted at in the book of Hebrews. Quite well hinted at, actually. But anyway, the point of the matter is, it's his divinity, it's his goodness that said, I can see there's deception. And so that my people will not be led astray Remember what it says in Revelations, that it could even try and deceive the elect. Keep that in mind. So that my genuine people, those who call on my name, do not be led astray and deceived. I will hide 
these writings until such a time as the transition of the age, so that my way can be taught and reinstalled in its original intention. And that's what we're seeing now. Thank God for that. That gets me so excited. Uh, Baruch Hashem. Thank you, God. So he will be removing. <laughs> so he's going to be removing from the covenant. I say from the covenant. The additions to the covenant that he did not ordain. So that's hyper grace. That's replacement theology. It's all these theologies that spurred up after. Uh, from the f the ending of the third century onwards, so the last few years of the first uh, of the third century, where Constantine was rising, and onwards he's he's r renewing and tearing the other way out of teaching, and that's so exciting to me. I'm so excited because there's so many people today that say, you know, Adonai doesn't judge anymore. Well, then grace doesn't apply because grace is a product of judgment. People say wrath doesn't apply. Well, we see people walking in it. doesn't necessarily mean that that is God's will for them. But Paul even teaches, you know, if God measures you to the extent of, and this is what it means by that, because in Hebrew, the word judgment is, is din, and it means to measure. And so he measures us on a daily basis. That's why he says, my mercies are new every morning. So he measures us on a daily basis. And to the extent of the discrepancy, he applies grace. What is he measuring? He measures in our hearts on a daily basis how much of him is in us. And we see him do this in Revelations with John, where John is given a, a rod to measure the new Jerusalem city. And then an angel weighs him, measures him, turns to Yeshua and says, his heart is full with you. And then he's released. Then he's released to measure the city. And so on a daily basis, I keep that in mind that that's after the cross. <laughs> And what if people go, at the cross, all judgment was atoned for? No, no, no. Sin was atoned for. Sin was atoned for. Not judgment, sin. Because at the end of the day, we still see him judging. We still see him weighing up people, measuring hearts, and then giving grace that abounds over them. And what is wrath? Paul defines wrath as being outside of the grace. So when people walk outside of it, and why is it wrath? Because that's free reign for anything that's outside of him. As soon as we disagree with God's will, we start to walk where the God of this world, in inverted commas, the accusers, still try to win over us. But when we are humbled, we walk in his will, regardless whether the testings and the trials come up. He will use that by his grace. He's measured us, but it's by his grace that he refines us. 
Wrath is what's on the other side of that, when we stop walking in humility. But Paul says they are both in play today. And so this hyper-grace movement, he is refining. He's not kicking people out by no means, but he is refining belief systems. He is refining us back to the teaching of the way. He is refining us in our offense to language. People are offended with the word chastise. But it's the word yasar in Hebrew, which means to purify. Means to set right or make straight. And same in Latin, it means to purify or to correct or to make straight or reproof and prove and rebuke. It's a similar thing in Hebrew. And so a lot of us, like with obligation as well, many people see it in a negative connotation. But it's not a negative word. It's neutral. So when Adonai chastises us, he's purifying us. He's straightening our path. He's proving us. He's reproofing us. And if required, he's rebuking us. But that's because he measures us. He sees what even our heart is hiding from ourselves. And he says, let's work on this. Just because he does these things is not against or a violation of his love for us. It's because he loves us that he does these things. And if we have an offense to those things, we have to work it out. Because that's what it means to work out your salvation with trembling and fear. The fear is the word yira, which means to be startled. But that's the healthy kind of fear. It's the recognition that we are under him. It's the recognition that he is always watching. It's the recognition that we can never run away from him because he's there. We turn to run from him and we run into him. It's Yira Adonai. The fear of Adonai also has the connotation that he's he's allowing us to hold his heart in, in our hands and we are to do nothing to try and break it. There's a caution. There's a reverence. That's what Yira is. The trembling, what the trembling is, is a holy intention. Being intentional to do things in line with his will. Not to the point that we are becoming religious, but having an intention to go, okay, God, what do you want me to do today? And then being intentional about achieving it. That's working out your salvation with fear and trembling. And so he's restoring that to us today. But there is people who Adonai is is stirring. And there's a lot of people who Adonai wants to advance but they are not allowing him to do so because they, they are offended at his language and his ways. Because we're defining it based upon our experience in life. That's wrong. His divinity is separate. And so if he's doing something and we're consistently having an issue with it, we have to then set time aside with him to go, deliver me from this, Adonai. Show me where this is coming from. And be rid of it from me. Heal me. So that I can walk without prejudice and without bias against your way. 
That's what we see Jacob doing when he wrestles Adonai because he wasn't working on his own faith. He was working on his father's and grandfather's faith. And then he finally went, enough is enough. And he wrestled with Malach Adonai, who we also call Yeshua. And he wrestles with him all night. And we are taught by our, our Chachamim, our, our wise men, our sages, that they were conversing and he was receiving the secrets of Adonai. To the point that he even knew the time when Messiah would come for the first time. And then he had, he he refused to let go of Moshiach until he received the blessing, as his father and grandfather did. And he had his, his hip pushed out of place and he said, don't heal it. <laughs> so that people, when they ask, I can testify about you. What a radical healing. That happened in one night. And he even said, may my injury be a testament to your goodness. Don't heal me. So that when people look at me and ask, I can testify about who you are. And so there are people this evening, or oh, it's morning at the moment, but there are people in this day that have an issue with things that God is doing and they will have even greater offense, but that's because it's something your parents did. It's something your friends did. It's something your aunties did, your family's done. Whoop-de-doo. God didn't do it. So we cannot be harsh and judge him based upon the failures of humans. But if, you, if I can be bold, Adonai has already forgiven them. So you have to allow yourself to forgive them. And you have to allow yourself to forgive yourself so that you can forgive them, so that you can move on in all humility, so that we can achieve the call that Adonai is getting us to outwork. Hmm, Selah. Ponder on that until you understand it. But Adonai, I sincerely pray that you move with your spirit of conviction in your spirit of instruction. Move over these people, Bishem Yeshua, and you manifest your heart's desires, where your name can be kept holy, and where we can see your kingdoms come and desires be done as in heaven, so on earth. Bishem Yeshua. Amen. Whew. Well, this is where I'm going to leave this episode. I have that release. So, B'Shem Yeshua, may this bless you. And I thank you, Adonai, that your will is being done. Shalom, shalom. Thank you for listening to the Olive Tree Podcast. Your support means the world to us, so we're thankful that you joined us today. We are grateful to be able to provide this resource and many others to you for free. That being said, if you feel called to support our ministry, you can do so by heading over to whenwisdomcalls.com and click on the Give tab. Want to know more about what we do and how you can get involved? Well, you can check out our website for more details, whenwisdomcalls.com. Thanks again for listening, and we will talk to you next time.